in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You are listening to Outer Brightness, a podcast for post-Mormons who are drawn by God to walk with Jesus rather than turn away. Outer brightness, outer brightness, outer brightness, outer brightness. There's no weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth here, except when Michael's hangry, that is, hangry, that is, hangry, that is. Welcome to this episode of the Outer Brightness Podcast. We were all born and raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, headquartered in Salt Lake City, Utah more commonly referred to as the Mormon faith. We may use nicknames or abbreviations of the church, such as LDS, Mormon, etc., but not in an attempt to be pejorative or insulting, but as a reflection of our personal experiences as Latter-day Saints, where these terms were used interchangeably in reference to ourselves and or the church. All of us have left that religion and have been drawn to faith in Jesus Christ based on biblical teachings. Some might consider us sons of perdition, the inheritors of outer darkness who supposedly knew the truth and rejected it, The name of our podcast, Outer Brightness, reflects the Gospel of John, chapter 1 in the Bible, specifically verse 9, which calls Jesus the true light, which gives light to everyone. We have found life beyond Mormonism to be brighter than we were told it would be, and the light we have is not our own. It comes to us from without. Thus, Outer Brightness. Making the transition from Mormonism to broader Christianity can be exciting, scary, confusing, challenging, and ultimately life-giving. Our aim here is to share our journeys of faith and what God has done in our lives in drawing us to His Son. We'll have conversations about all aspects of that transition, the fears, challenges, new beliefs, surprises, and joys. We're glad you found us, and we hope you'll stick around. I'm Matthew, the nuclear Calvinist. I'm Michael, the ex-Mormon apologist. I'm Paul Bunyan. Let's get into it. In the first episode, we posed the question, What if Mormonism isn't true? The question was chosen in part because we tend to rarely examine the fundamental aspects of our lives. Society, the meaning of life, the repetitive actions, the reasons why we believe in God or don't, the meaning of life in the universe, etc. We take many of the things we consider to be true for granted as if they are true without question. This is a normal part of human existence because if we were to constantly doubt and question everything with which we perceive or interact in our daily lives, Our minds would be filled with so much confusion and doubt that we would hardly have the courage to turn on a light or take a step outside of our homes. But when we are considering the topic of God, life after death, eternal life, and all kinds of questions that affect our existence now and in the eternities, we must be willing to examine them. Is there anything worth more of our time, attention, prayer, and study than our eternal souls? The topic was addressed from each of our unique perspectives and experiences. We hope and pray that our previous discussion will be used by God to open the minds of those who aren't questioning, and bring comfort to those who are already in the process of questioning. This leads us immediately to the topic at hand of the current discussion. If we, as either current, active Latter-day Saints, or post-Latter-day Saints, have accepted that the LDS Church is not what it claims to be, 
the only true church on the face of the earth, it leads to one of several very fundamental questions. If I leave the LDS church, where do I go? Which church is true then? This concept of true churches versus false churches is completely ingrained into the mind of those who have grown up in a Latter-day Saint environment. We consider that there must be only one true church, and all the other churches are wrong. We look at the landscape of Christianity and other religions and see so much dispute, confusion, and debate that the thought of leaving the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is terrifying. I experienced this personally in my faith transition from the LDS Church. One of the most common passages of scripture I used while I served as a full-time LDS missionary in Belgium and France to show that there was only one true church was Ephesians 4-5, quote, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, end quote. This also proves that there is only one way to baptize, so I thought. So how come Christians all over the world were divided on their method of baptism? And who should be baptized? Adult believers only? Or believers and their children? The, quote, great apostasy, end quote, that Joseph Smith spoke of just seemed completely obvious to me. If this great apostasy hadn't happened, we wouldn't have so many denominations, right? But is this really the case? Does the fact that Christianity doesn't agree on every single topic mean that none of them have the truth? In this episode, your hosts, the Sons of Light, will tackle some of these questions and hopefully shed some light on what questioning Latter-day Saints have asked themselves at least once in their lives. What church is true, then? We welcome you and hope you'll enjoy your time with us. In brightest day and blackest night, no evil shall escape our sight. All right. That was a little Green Lantern reference there for you. <laughs> I had, I had to squeeze that in. I like I had to it. it. <laughs> Before you began doubting the truth claims of the LDS Church, what were your impressions of other Christian churches? Were they positive, negative, or neutral? Let's start with uh, Michael on that question. Yes, I had a mostly positive view of other Christian churches. When I looked at other Christian churches, I believed that they were a stepping stone for somebody to become a Latter-day Saint. After all, it was so much easier to preach Mormonism to somebody who already had a concept of Scripture and, and Jesus Christ. And I believe that I was just adding something to what they already believed. When I was a missionary, you know, I'd say, I'm not trying to take away anything that you believe. I'm just trying to give you more truth. And so I did have a very positive uh, impression of other Christian churches. I I worked at a Christian thrift shop before my mission and had a lot of friends there. So definitely mostly positive, but there were a couple of churches that would speak out against Mormonism, then I would have the opposite view of them, and I would consider them to be a negative, hateful church. So, yeah, it just, just really depended on if they were talking about me or if they were just going about their own business. So you had a general positive view, unless if they gave you reason to believe otherwise. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. And Paul, what about you? I think it depends on what time of life I was in. So as a child, as I was growing up, I had a pretty positive view of other churches, I think. My father was born into a Lutheran family. He's the first generation of a German immigrant family that was born here in America. And um, he, so he grew up Lutheran. And on weekends when my grandfather was working in another town and had to take the car my grandmother would take them to a Baptist church that was just across the street from where they lived in New York. So he got the experience of both Lutherans and Baptists. And when he would talk to us as a, when I was a child in family home evening or, or other settings about his conversion to Mormonism, he always spoke of his upbringing in, in the Lutheran church and attending 
Baptist services in a very positive way. So I think growing up, I had a positive view of other churches. But as I prepared to go on my mission in 1997, the Southern Baptist Convention held their their big meeting in Salt Lake City and went door to door there to evangelize Mormons. And that was, you know, of course, all the news in Salt Lake City. And, you know, as I as I did um, splits with missionaries uh, in the months leading up to my mission, of course, it was it was a big event for them as well. And, you know, uh, kind of crystallized in my mind uh, something similar to what Michael was was talking about, where, you know, OK, so there's this other group that uh, doesn't like us and doesn't think we're Christians. So they, you know, they're horrible and they're hate filled. And as I went on my mission and, and read books like James E. Talmadge's The Great Apostasy, um, like uh, Bruce R. McConkie's Mormon Doctrine and the way that he uh, uh, approached Roman Catholicism in that book uh, and, and other Christian churches as well, I, I think I imbibed those, uh, those very negative views of other churches pretty heavily while I was on my mission. When I came home and married a, a convert to Mormonism who had been raised Baptist and began interacting with her family, uh, my views, again, began to soften. So I think I went from positive to kind of a very staunch Latter-day Saint. We're the only uh, true church view uh, for a number of years and then and then back to a more positive view. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I have, it sounds like you both had a lot more interaction with Christians than I have in my life. Before I went on my mission, I really didn't interact with many Christians. I had friends that were Roman Catholics, and they were cool. And then on my mission, I uh, I met some people who would come up to us and say, "Oh, you're you're part of a cult, right? You know that kind of thing." So like just really upfront, really really strong at us. So I didn't hate them or have you know negative feelings for them. I I just felt like they were nice people, but caught in a system that was incorrect. So I felt like they were being misled by the. And um, I also read The Great Apostasy by Talmadge. And so that really paints a really negative picture of, of Roman Catholicism, especially in infant baptism. So, yeah, I would guess I would also say mostly positive, but just due to the fact that I really didn't interact with many Christians and I figured most of them were good people. Some of them might be extreme or, you know, very antagonistic in their evangelism of Mormons. But overall, you know, I felt like I had a positive view of, of Christians. So... And by the way, you know, please cut in if you have more thoughts or more questions. So, following up, when you began your faith transition, did the prospect of leaving the LDS Church and joining another church come to your mind? Were there thoughts of excitement, fear, reservation, or something else? Let's uh, let's start with uh, Paul this time. The prospect of leaving the LDS Church for another church at the at the outset of my faith transition was not something I really considered. The way I viewed things is that I would probably either remain Mormon in some form or fashion, and and that was likely going to be uh, a more liberal approach to Mormonism, uh, much like a a Eugene England or or, uh, perhaps like a John Boleyn attempted to do for a number of years, um, where the the specific truth claims uh, only mattered in the sense that they didn't maybe fully believe them, but the the culture of Mormonism, the values that instilled in, in families and in children were viewed generally in a positive light. That's that's kind of where I saw myself going. There or 
or to some form of agnosticism or atheism. Uh, when I, at the outset of my faith transition, it took me a number of years before I was willing to consider that really that my faith transition might result in leaving Mormonism to begin with. And then after that to seeking to remain a Christian and, and, or religious in some sense. So initially, no, the idea of, of not being LDS was kind of anathema in my mind. Okay. And to follow up on that, how about we, we talk about how you felt later on in your faith transition. Did, did the idea of leaving the LDS church for another Christian church become more palatable or, or more acceptable in your mind? No, I don't think so. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, I talked about the experience with, with Angela and I going and talking at the park and it really, I really didn't feel free to entertain the idea of going outside of the LDS church until that, until that conversation. And I don't know whether that was, I mean, I do know I felt a lot of pressure to be the faithful uh, member of our, of our marriage uh, as, as it pertains to the LDS church. I, uh, I put a lot of um, weight on not being someone who would harm uh, a convert's testimony. And so in my mind, even, even up until several months before we made the decision to leave, uh, I was still saying in conversations to her that I, I couldn't imagine being anything other than Mormon. So it's, it, it was really kind of a sudden decision, but it was, it was a situation where, you know, when I, when I knew she was willing to leave and okay with it, uh, I felt free to kind of let go of that pressure that I was putting on, my, putting on myself. And so then after that discussion with the pressure off your shoulders, you kind of felt like you could relax or you could, you could consider other options or other avenues. Yeah. It, and it, and it did become exciting at that point because like I said, I, I had gone from a very, so my, my insistence that I couldn't imagine being anything other than Mormon was, was kind of like uh, a grasping. And I, and I see it sometimes in, in Latter-day Saints online as well. It's kind of like, this is my tribe mentality. And this is always going to be my tribe mentality. And once that was gone and I had reached a point of having generally positive views of people of other Christian churches, people of other Christian faiths, it was kind of exciting to to explore that. And I was doing that somewhat in the background. I, I started reading books about uh, the history of Christianity in America. There's a book uh, called Pilgrims in Their Own Land by Martin Marty that I read that I just devoured and found very, very fascinating. And so there was, there was kind of growing in me, uh, towards the end of my time in the LDS church, a, a, an interest in, but even then I, I held back with, with being open to actually considering it even till the very end. And even then I, I kind of tried to dig in my heels and be like, well, let's go to, um, let's go to the community of Christ or, or some other Mormon uh, congregation that's that's not the the LDS church in Salt Lake. So yeah, I, I I held on to that culture for a long time. Yeah, I think I think that resonates with with me as well. How about you, Michael? When you began your faith transition, and then was it exciting to leave to join another church? And then if not at the beginning, then later on, like how did how did your perception or the idea of leaving the LDS church and joining another one? How did that affect you? By the time I had my but by the time my faith transition began, I was already having a lot of discussions with Christians on my 
forum online and I'd already made a lot of really good Christian friends. And it was actually a Christian argument, uh, the impossible gospel argument that was making me have my faith crisis. And so I think logically in my mind, I kind of knew that I was going to have to decide between being a Latter-day Saint or being a Christian. And there wasn't really another option in my mind. And I was kind of like Paul a little bit there too, because I was I was starting to kind of think like, well, maybe the Book of Mormon is still true, but maybe it's one of the other sects that's actually true. Like maybe I should go join the uh, the RLDS or the FLDS. Now actually, I I never thought of joining the FLDS. <clears throat> and and uh, just I had so many positive experiences on my mission meeting with with Christians, and even when I would debate with them, I always just felt this love from from these these Christians. And I remember one time on my mission, we were walking, we were in our missionary garb and we passed these two ladies and they kind of witnessed to us for a second. And they just said, Hey, you know, just so you know, we pray for you every Sunday at our church. And I was just blown away by that. I was like, okay, I thought you guys hated us, you know, but, but you pray for us at church. Like that's, that's awesome. And I kind of started getting to this point when my faith crisis happened where I kind of wasn't really liking the people at my church that much anymore. The culture was really starting to get to me, just the how easy it is to judge others or to be judged if you're not wearing the right clothes or you don't have the right education or you don't have the right number of children. You know, it's just so hard to fit in in awards sometimes. And, and then I was just like, you know... If it wasn't for the doctrine being true in Mormonism, I would almost rather be a member of a Protestant church because I really like these guys. And I don't know if I was just kind of thinking the grass was greener at that point, but uh, the further along I got in my faith transition, like the people that were really helping me were were Christian and they're just you know giving me advice and they weren't pressuring me. You know, people are saying, you know, I'll, I'll love you even if you stay LDS your whole life. But I was getting more of that pressure from, from Mormonism, you know, where they get up and when they got up in conference and said, if you leave here, where will you go? And, and just putting the pressure on me. And so Christianity just started to look more and more appealing the further I got into my faith crisis. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I remember that, that talk too. I think it was Ballard. It says, where, where will you go? Yes. Um, I forget if that was on my mission or if it was after, but I do distinctly remember hearing it and feeling it was kind of a little bit manipulative to be like, well, this is all you've got, so there's not going to be anything better for you than what you've already got, so you might as well stay here. That was kind of the vibe I was getting. And and at the time, I was still, I wasn't questioning the church at all, but I felt like that talk was a little strange. I mean, I think the purpose of what he was trying to say is he was trying to say, we have so many blessings in this church, you know, that nobody else has. And like, we're just so blessed, but it came off as kind of manipulative. So I, I, I kind of understand the pressure that you're talking about. And, and when you're both saying it's, it's funny how, you know, three different people, three different experiences, different parts of the country. But, you know, we, we, we all had similar thoughts because I thought the same thing. I thought maybe, well, you know, I, I find a lot of truth in the book of Mormon. I, I think it's a really great text. You know, I've, I found so much strength in it over, over my lifetime. So maybe, maybe I can hold on to that and I'll just forget about the historical things that bother me 
with polygamy, with the book of Abraham, things like that. I can just reject that and I can keep what, what I like for myself, kind of like a cafeteria Mormonism is what I was trying to do. And uh, I wasn't willing to get rid of my faith or my attachment to the LDS church either. And then as I got further along in my faith transition and I realized that the uh, that community of Christ, they were very similar in a lot of ways and they had the things that I struggled to get rid of and prophets, the Book of Mormon, that kind of thing. They had all that, and they rejected most of what I rejected, you know, baptism for the dead, uh, Book of Abraham. They started to take a more honest look at their history. So that was the real um, option that I had considered for a long time as well. So it's just funny to, to hear both of you say similar, have similar thoughts and experiences. Um, okay, so leading from there, like I said, I'm going to rethink question five. So through our faith transition, uh, God led us to him in faith in Christ and out of the LDS Church. Continuing from what we just discussed, could you describe how you finally, how God led you to the point where, okay, I need to leave the LDS Church, and then you're considering joining another Christian church. So could each of you describe how God led you to worship with the particular group you're with, your churches, your congregations? And if you'd like, you could describe what group it is and what you believe or what they what they teach whatever you'd like to describe. So I left that question kind of open-ended. Maybe I should rephrase it and make it more concise. But in general, I just want to know, when God led you out of Mormonism to your Christian church, how did he lead you there? And what is it that, that brought you to where you are now? Okay, I, I'll go ahead and just, just talk about that a little bit. Because for me, it has been a, a journey that is just, I've had to start the journey over several times. And it's one that I'm still on unfortunately, and it's it's a real struggle. Probably the biggest thing that I've struggled with since leaving the church. And what's made it difficult is, I mean, the way that God led me out of Mormonism and into Protestant Christianity in general was just, you know, opening my eyes to imputed righteousness and, and realizing that it is Christ's obedience by which I am worthy to enter heaven. It's It's his worthiness given to me. And so that is the the doctrine that I care about. And when I left Mormonism, you know, I told the sister missionaries that I didn't care if the church had a, a bunch of other true doctrines, but if the other people were right about grace, I had to leave because it was more important than all the other things that the church had. You know, I'm like, this, this grace is really what I want. And when I left, you know, I've kind of, I've kind of seen in my journey, that I've needed different things as I've grown as a Christian. So right when I left Mormonism, I went to the most rock-out church that I could possibly find. I mean, they baptized me to a drum roll, okay? If you haven't been baptized to a drum roll, you haven't lived. You mean like a literal, like they had literal drums they played? Yes. Hmm. Literal, literal drums, laser lights, and... You know, a really cool pastor. I still think he's really cool. And I loved it because I felt like, okay, there's freedom here. Uh, I'm not restricted by the, the code of Mormonism where I have to wear my white button down shirt and a tie and I have to not clap after a song. And it's like, I, I have this freedom. I'm not claustrophobic anymore. And I really liked that for a while. After about a year in that church, 
I felt like I was really missing some good Christian fellowship. Like I had been going to this church and I didn't really know anybody except for the pastor and maybe two other people. And so then I ended up going to another church and I made some really good friends and, and I really liked it there. And then, and then the divorce happened and I ended up moving. And so I've had to kind of restart that journey several times. But what I found is that I can pretty much be happy going to a wide variety of churches. You know, I've gone to several and I usually find that there's things that I love about every church and there's things that I'm not as excited about sometimes. Um, I'm still stuck a little bit in the Mormon mindset where it's like, okay, you know, the church is going to be perfect. And one, one of my pastors told me, you know, if you find the perfect church, don't tell me about it because if I go, I'm going to mess it up. But yeah, I've gone to been going to a Presbyterian church, actually, probably the most often recently, which is interesting because I don't adhere to Calvinism yet, um, but I but I really enjoy it and the, the essentials, the things that I believe in the most heavily are taught there and, and they preach from the Bible and that's what really matters to me. They're not talking about themselves or the the leaders of the church aren't the focus it is all about jesus and as long as that's what's going on that i'm i'm happy that's me in a nutshell that's great and we'll we'll be sure to pray for you for where you're moving to find a good solid church you can attend yeah i think i i think i already have found one it's just been too far away for me to go to but we're going to be close to it uh the pastor there has a heart for for uh, ex-mormons and and they teach real solid, uh, real solid doctrine. I remember I went there, uh, once and I was just blown away by the message because he was talking about how when you become a Christian, it's not all sunshine and roses that it literally says in the Bible to take up our cross and follow Christ. And they were talking about the discipleship and what it actually means and just throwing the hard truth at us. And I was like, oh, this is really good. I haven't actually heard much of this in a lot of the churches that I go to. So I'm excited to go over there again. Yeah, that's great. I think that's, I think that's what we need is biblical preaching. We, 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 we have a tendency to, to want to add different programs and things like that, but really the power is in the word. So when they stick to the word, you can't go wrong. I agree. And we were going to a church recently here and it was a big mega church and we went the first time and the pastor just, he had such a huge personality and, and taught with a lot of power. And I think that first time we went, we really liked it. But the more we went, we started realizing that he was not using the Bible a lot or he was using the message translation a lot. And he'd be talking about himself and him and his wife's calling to come and start the church. Um, you were going to Joel Osteen's church? It wasn't Joel Osteen. I would have recognized him. That's Houston. This is uh, in Georgetown, just north of Austin. But they must be brothers or something because, you know, he, they came in and they were talking about how God loves everybody. You know, if we think about our worst enemy, like God loves them. And, and it's just started putting questions in my mind, too. Like, well, does God, like, love the people that are not saved and i don't know just calvinist thinking starting to <laughs> jump in there i've been talking to, to matthew too too much lately <laughs> but i'm just like, like 
it's just it was almost like they were talking about like universalism though like oh god loves god loves your worst enemy and he's crazy about us and he'd have your picture on his fridge and i'm like this all sounds really good and it's giving me these warm fuzzies but i'm like is this really the gospel and and that's really what i want is the gospel and i don't care about everything else how about you paul yeah, so I, I talked about sitting in the foyer at the LDS church in, the, in kind of the final months when I was in a place uh, spiritually and, and emotionally where I was just reaching the point where I could not bring myself to feel a fidelity to the LDS church or, or even feel connected to it very well because I had reached a point where I didn't believe that its distinctive truth claims were true, but I was still kind of forcing myself and, and trying to force my family to go. And I would sit in the foyer and look out uh, across the street and there was a Christian church and people would be going in and they were happy. I could tell by the way they were walking as a family that they were ha- happy. And it just, it was appealing to me. But we did try a number of different churches. We tried a United Methodist Church because we knew the youth pastor there who was a, a neighbor to us. And we enjoyed it, but we decided we might just research out some churches. And uh, there was another church in our area that um, was was fairly popular and, and growing quite rapidly uh, here in the in the Cincinnati area. Had just opened up a second location, um, and you know was kind of building uh, churches in uh, former former kind of big box stores. It had that kind of a feel to it as well, kind of like like a consumerism type Christianity. And we have gone to uh, Christmas presentations at that church and have really enjoyed it. Um, but as far as worshiping there, probably not. And, and it kind of didn't appeal to us at the time. So eventually we did land at, at deciding to try a Christian church. And and for me initially, it wasn't it wasn't the doctrine that drew me there. It was it was walking in the door and being greeted by people who had the genuine love of Christ for others who were walking in the door. The worship music was good. Uh, they were in the tran- they were in a transition when we walked in between uh, the previous lead pastor who had been there for 30 years and the new lead pastor who was who was going to be replacing him. So they were preaching through a sermon series together. And they were also in the transition from hymn books to contemporary music at the time. And seeing a church willing to go through change like that was kind of refreshing to me coming from, you know, the LDS church that had had the same hymn book for, for my entire lifetime. And so it was, it was, it was kind of refreshing in terms of, you know, the Christian tradition that that uh, belongs to. It's, it's part of the, uh, what, what, scholars call the American Restoration Movement or uh, sometimes referred to as, as Campbellism. And I know that that kind of can trigger uh, Mormons maybe even more than, than Calvinism can <laughs> because, um, uh, you know, Alexander Campbell, who was kind of an early leader in that, in that movement, was one of the first to uh, read and kind of review the Book of Mormon in, in his publication or in his, uh, in his periodical that he published. And it wasn't a, wasn't a glowing review. Uh, so, um, from a, from a Mormon history kind of standpoint, uh, Cal or the Campbell Campbellites are are kind of kind of the enemy in in some ways. So, um, but as I as I kind of dug in and learned more about what 
uh, you know, what the American Restoration Movement was all about. I, I learned it was kind of like an early precursor sort of to uh, evangelicalism or held some of the same principles of, of evangelicalism. So uh, some of kind of some of the main distinctive themes of the movement, uh, there's kind of some pithy little statements that, uh, that kind of get, or, you know, I, I don't know so much anymore, but in the past have kind of gotten bantied about within the movement, such as uh, where, the, where the scriptures speak, we speak, where the scriptures are silent, we are silent. Uh, that, one, that one was an important one to me because as I kind of lost the ability to trust Mormonism and, and its views on continuing revelation, the idea of a solid foundation in the word of God was appealing to me. Just what the word of God was uh, for a number of years I had to, to work through and figure out, but um, that, that one was important to me. So another one is that, that was really important to me was we are Christians only, but not the only Christians. Uh, that was important to me as I came out of out of the Latter Day Saint faith because uh, of, of the the hardline view that that the LDS Church took as I was growing up. I, I sense that maybe it's not as hardline anymore, but that the, the only Christians resided within the LDS faith, and it was only the LDS faith that had authority to baptize and authority to uh, quote unquote make Christians. So that one, the idea that that we're Christians only, but we're not the only Christians was important to me. Another one is in essentials, unity and in opinions, liberty and all things love. Uh, that was also important to me because I, uh, I had this view coming out of the LDS faith that as a, as a Latter-day Saint, as an ex Latter-day Saint, there would be those who would not accept me. And I had a lot of sorting out of my beliefs to do. And I didn't want to be or feel pressured to immediately conform my beliefs to uh, some set of doctrines. I wanted to think through things and, and, and compare what what I believe with the Word of God. And so this idea that uh, that there can be unity in essentials and and yet there be maybe some disagreement in non-essentials, but love uh, overruling everything that was important to me. So you know there there are things about the the restoration movement, the American Restoration Movement that can not only trigger uh, Mormons, but can also trigger uh, other Christians. People within within that movement tend to be Arminian, and so there can there can be some some squabbles at times between people within the Restoration movement and and Calvinists. Their the, their view on baptism is very similar to the the Latter Day Saint view of baptism uh, in terms of. You know, the baptism should be by immersion and it's for the remission of sins and, and some, some within the movement take it as far as that it's a requirement for salvation. And so, um, that can, that can cause some disagreements, uh, between restoration movement folks and, and, and other, uh, Christian movements, Christian traditions. But in, in, in many ways, some of those things made it a, kind of a soft place for me to land, uh, and think through things. And so I'm, I'm thankful for that. And, and I see that as a grace of God. I think that, that God knows what each of us needs as he draws us to him. And there's a lot of ways in which I needed some of the, some of the views of the, the restoration movement to, to kind of give me the freedom to think through things and, and work through, 
uh, my beliefs and and work on conforming them to the Word of God. So, yeah. So, Paul, let me just jump in here real quick because because of our background, right? When I hear the word restoration, you know, I'm automatically assuming that that means like oh, Christianity fell into an apostasy. Like, would you say that that holds a lot of the same uh, weight as when Mormons say? Restoration, or is it a different thing? In some ways, yes. Uh, so the the term the Great Apostasy uh, didn't didn't originate with Joseph Smith. Uh, it's a term that that Alexander Campbell used in his writings. I think he wrote a, a series of treatises that that later became a book called I think he called it the Christian System, and 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 I believe that that he uses that term in that series of, of treatises, and that. That was published before the founding of, of the LDS Church uh, in between like the early, I think the early 1820s uh, time frame. And so, yes, there, there within the Restoration Movement, there, there has been in the past kind of a, a view of you know that there was a falling away. But I think that was a that was also an outgrowth. I don't think it, it originated either with Alexander Campbell. I think that that term came through Protestantism in general with regards to its view of, of Roman Catholicism. But in terms of what restoration meant to Alexander Campbell and his father Thomas Campbell, who were kind of uh, two of the key figureheads in the movement, and um, Barton W. Stone was another, uh, it, it means something quite different than what it meant to Latter-day Saints. The Latter-day Saint view is that uh, priesthood authority was lost and had to be restored by angelic visitation from John the Baptist and Peter, James, and John, and that's how the restoration occurred. And so it's very, within the Latter-day Saint tradition, it's very much a restoration of authority. Within the American Restoration Movement, the, the view is more like the Protestant view of back to the sources. You know, there's, a, there's the, I'm sure I forget the Latin phrase, but um, within Protestantism, there was kind of a call to go back to the sources and that's kind of the view that the re- the restoration movement took was you know the bible is our is our foundation and our authority for uh, understanding what christianity is and should be and so you know going back to kind of the pithy statements where the scriptures speak we speak where the scriptures are silent we are silent kind of the view like you know that's that's our guide and um you know, do Bible things in Bible ways, call Bible things by Bible names. It was a very much, very much a, a looking back to uh, the Bible as as the source of authority, the source of doctrine, the source of practice within the church. So a restoring of New Testament Christianity in the sense of what does the Bible present to us? It sounds, it reminds me a little bit of the, not what we would call today as fundamentalism, because that kind of has a negative connotation these days, but what the original fundamentalism movement started out to be, where it was kind of like getting back to the roots of what scripture said mm-hmm. and kind of stripping away, you know, other traditions or other things that could, that have been kind of built around it. Sounds kind of a similar kind of idea. Right. Which I think, which I think is, was what the Reformation was all about in the beginning too, was, was they were in this time period where the only, you know, in the 1500s, all you had was Roman Catholicism. Like, if you wanted to be a Christian, that's all you had in the in the Western Church. And so then the Reformation came about, and then gave them kind of an opportunity to have Scripture again. You know, they they had the Latin Vulgate, and then now they have they've gone back to the original languages, 
there's all these truths that have been kind of been obscured or built around. So like they, they were able to go back straight to scripture and, and really get back to what God had actually spoken rather than the interpretations or the writings that people had written about what they thought God had spoken. It's going straight, you know, the, the reformed idea of ad fontes, which is, it, it sounds like it's similar to the kind of, um, what you were talking about, Paul, just maybe different terminology, but getting back to God's word. And hope that I was worthy of the blood that Jesus shed But now I know that all the works I did were meaningless Compared with Jesus' lonely death on the cross where He bore sin And now I have the righteousness that is by faith in Jesus
of the